0: Alright, well good morning. I'm Pastor Tommy. I am really glad that you are here with us this morning. I hope you feel extra welcome um, on this beautiful fall day. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to open up uh, your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under your seats. Uh, We want you to have this open in front of you so you're looking at it as we're walking through it. Matthew chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, we have a table in the back uh, with Bibles. Please take one. We're also, this is the time of the year that we put all of our lost and found stuff out. There's plenty of Bibles in there, so... You can get, there's like some nice leather-bound ESV study Bible, so I mean, I'm not saying steal it, but if it's yours, you should take it. All right. We've got, um, it, it doesn't seem like we have a lot to get through because there's only three verses, but there is a lot to get through this morning, so I want to jump straight uh, into the main point that I hope that you walk away with from our time together, and that is that Jesus establishes his church to preach, to teach and to heal. Let me say that again. Jesus establishes his church. That is, people who place their faith in Jesus and who have been brought together as a local body, like Mercy House, like right here. Jesus establishes this church to preach the gospel, to teach biblical doctrine and practice, and to heal the sick and suffering among us. Before we dive into verse 23, pray with me one more time. Father, you are God, you created everything that is in existence and you hold it all together and there is nothing in a single spot of all of the cosmos that you don't know about and there is nothing that is in a certain specific place down to the molecular makeup of our human bodies that is outside of your authority and your power and your control. Help us this morning see how great you are and help us to see your compassion and care for those in this room and beyond, God. Help us to see your heart and your words this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 23 in chapter 4, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So we left off last week with Jesus entering into the region of Galilee. And we talked about how that's a bit of a peculiar choice of where to go. Like on paper, Galilee is not where you would imagine. Uh, it being an ideal place for the birth of the gospel. It is geographically distant from Jerusalem. It is politically and culturally distant from being a sympathetic place for ministry. It is spiritually distant. It's a place that's full of darkness, an area that rests in the shadow of death as we're reading it in scripture. But it's where God promised That he would begin his work all the way back in Isaiah 9. And so, that's where Jesus heads. And that's where he begins preaching and calling the first followers. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But... Galilee was not just a pit stop, and that's what we see in these verses this morning. He wasn't there just to technically fulfill the prophecy of chapter 9. Kind of like if you have a goal to visit all 50 states and, and you drive through Delaware and you are like technically there on your way to Maryland, like that's not how Jesus is in Galilee. He didn't just pass through. He didn't just have a meal there or buy a postcard or whatever would constitute a minimal visiting of a state before you're allowed to say, oh, I've been there. That's not how Jesus is interacting with Galilee. Verse 23, And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus is traveling all throughout Galilee. And he will continue to do so for essentially the, the rest of his ministry. And he's not just sightseeing. He's not on a public speaking tour, just a meet and greet. Matthew says that he's doing three things. He is teaching He is proclaiming and he is healing every disease and every affliction. Now, because of where these verses sit and the way that they're phrased, one might think that this is simply a summary of what Jesus has been doing. But this actually isn't a concluding summary that's at the end of a chapter as we go into chapter 5. It's actually an opening bookend for the rest of his ministry. And we know this because if we skip forward to chapter 9, this is what we see. There should be two verses on your screen side by side. So uh, in chapter 9, verse 35, Matthew says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And so the words that Matthew uses are almost identical in these two places. And this is a literary device. And what it's doing, it's framing the work and the ministry of Jesus. It's mentioned first here in the passage we're looking at in verse 23 of chapter 4. And it's mentioned again down in chapter 9, verse 35. And between these two bookends, what we see is... There's a lot of preaching, and there's a lot of teaching, and there's a lot of healing, like over and over and over again. And we're going to go through all of this, so you're going to see it happening. Preaching, teaching, and healing. So a very early observation that we can make from the text is pretty straightforward, that the ministry of Jesus on earth is primarily preaching, teaching, and healing. And so that's my preaching outline this morning. We're going to look at what it meant for Jesus to preach, Uh, what it looked like for him to teach and to heal. And then we're going to talk about what that means for us here today as his followers. So first up is preaching or proclaiming. We talked a lot about this last week, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time covering it again, but but Jesus modeled this for us. Going back to verse 17 of chapter 4, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus is preaching the message of repentance, which is uh, turn away from sin and turn to God. And he's doing so with a sense of urgency. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So God is doing this now. We must respond to Jesus and his message now because there will come a time when it will be too late and we will not be able to. So there's urgency in that. Now, interestingly, the, the word gospel or evangelion is making its appearance for the first time here in the book of Matthew. And what it means in the Greek is wonderful news or good news. That's what gospel means. There's a lot that we can learn from the preaching of Jesus, who was the best preacher to have ever walked on the earth and who will ever walk on the earth. But one thing that's very clear is that biblical preaching is not just doom and gloom, and it's not just light and happy. It's not just preaching sin and judgment, and it's not just preaching grace and forgiveness. The biblical message that God has been communicating from the very beginning of the Bible is that we are sinful and that there are consequences to that sin. There is eternal separation and death, but at the same time that God would make a way for us to be able to be forgiven of our sin, to be able to be completely reconciled with God. And so... The gospel good news that Jesus is preaching has both of these two components, sin and judgment, yes, absolutely, but with grace and forgiveness, not one without the other. And so when we preach, when we proclaim the good news, when we herald the gospel as his followers, we need to make sure that we, plead, we preach the complete message of the Bible, not just preaching judgment. Maybe we do this with hearts of pride and anger, But also not just preaching forgiveness with hearts of cheap grace, not accounting for the cost of what it meant for Jesus to forgive us of our sins, but preaching the gospel like Jesus did, confronting the realities of sin and judgment while offering the hope of forgiveness and grace. That's what we see Jesus doing and that's how we ought to preach as well. Jesus didn't only preach and proclaim the gospel, he taught, he taught. He communicated gospel truths with imperative statements. He said, repent from your sins, follow God. But Jesus also took time to teach and to explain and to walk through the complexity and the nuance of what that meant and what that looked like in the life of the individual. He didn't just preach what to do. He spent a lot of time teaching how to do it. And that's what we see in these verses. The teaching that Jesus does is not just theological and philosophical and kind of high up in the air. And he does sometimes teach this way. Uh, He says, this is from Matthew 10, later on, verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's not intuitively understandable. you got to take a minute to chew on that, think about it, It, it's, it's theological in nature, it's philosophical in its implications But his teaching was also very incredibly practical. So in chapters 5 through 7, Matthew will treat us to one of these teaching sessions with Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends his sermon with this. In chapter 7, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. People didn't walk away from Jesus' sermon with some nice thoughts just to chew on. They walked away with things that they were taught and compelled by Jesus to do. Now, there's a choice, of course. Jesus makes that clear in the end of chapter seven. But the teaching of Christ, it brought light to the mind, it brought heat to the heart, and it brought pep to the step of everyone who was listening Jesus. And the people acknowledged this. They were impacted by his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. After he finishes preaching that sermon, here's how the people respond. This is in chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. The people were astonished. At his teaching, Other ways to translate that would be that they were amazed at his teaching. They were overwhelmed by his teaching. Now, some of this is unique to Jesus. I mean, he's Jesus. He is the best teacher. He sets the standard for what it means to be an effective teacher. But the practice of teaching is not exclusive to Jesus. And it's also not exclusive to those who have official roles as teachers like myself. The end of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus parting a commission to all of his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20. You you likely have heard this before. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age so This is the imperative command Imperative command not just to pastors not just to the apostles But to every follower of Christ to make disciples to baptize them just like John was baptizing people in the river and to teach to teach. Teaching what exactly? It says, well, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Another word for observe is to obey. And so we are to teach not just what Jesus said, that is right doctrine, but to teach uh, how to actually live that out, which is right practice. And the teaching of right doctrine and the teaching of right practice of that doctrine is the responsibility of every Christian, every Christian. So that being said, do you ever wonder why we encourage you every single Sunday to open up your Bibles and to look at this for yourself? Why we encourage you to take some notes as you're listening to these things. The reason is so you can see with your own eyes what we're preaching and what we're teaching so that you know that we're not conjuring this up out of nowhere. We're merely expositing God's word right here. And to show that there's nothing like up my sleeve. I'm not doing theological gymnastics up here. For you, the process of reading and interpreting and understanding the Bible is accessible to each and every one of you who can read So we want you to grow in your Bible literacy. So that's one reason. But the other reason is so that when you sit down with another person and you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, that you yourself would be able to preach and be able to teach it to them. Like, Lord willing, you'll be able to herald the good news from these verses right here and walk people through these verses and explain to them to teach that to someone else. Now, it might sound like I'm pawning off the job of ministry to you, the church, like just handing off the work of preaching and making disciples and teaching them. And that is exactly what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints, that's you all, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry, not just to do that work of ministry myself. And when a church is healthy, when it is the church total with everybody, not just the pastor who is doing the preaching and the teaching of the gospel and how to live it out. And if I'm doing this right, and if the Lord is working in your hearts, then our church should be full of preachers and teachers. You saints should all be equipped for the work of ministry. That is God's vision for his church. And may the Lord continue to do that more and more and more here at Mercy House. All of God's people preach and they teach. That is their calling. Jesus is modeling this out for their disciples. and He's knowing one day he's not going to be around in the same capacity. But Jesus was preparing them for that day. He was doing what they would eventually do, which is equipping the saints for ministry and for building up the body of Christ. We're called to teach. Jesus' ministry wasn't just composed of preaching and teaching, but look again at what the bulk of these verses highlight. So we're going to read this again, verse 23. And when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee Galilee. And the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. I don't want the picture of what's happening here in these verses to be lost on us this morning. And some of you have read the Bible before. Some of you have grown up hearing his words. And so we might be familiar with them. And so when we read together that Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, preaching, teaching, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, it's possible that the weight of what's happening is not fully felt So let's take a minute and just sit in these verses. I want you to imagine for a minute that there is a person in Springfield who has the ability, the power, the authority to heal and fix every disease and every affliction. And I mean every. And they are the real deal. They are legitimately fixing every single ailment that is brought to them. What would you do to get yourself or what would you do to get someone you love to that person in Springfield? Maybe the more appropriate question is, what would you not do in order to get yourself or that person that you love who is suffering to this person in Springfield? See, miraculous healing happens regularly in the Bible, but it's certainly not normal. That's the definition of miraculous. It means to occur through divine or supernatural intervention. What's happening in these verses is miraculous, and it is causing an absolute frenzy. Verse 25, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. People were flocking to Jesus. His ministry of preaching and teaching and healing is drawing crowds from all over the country and beyond. What I want you to really see in these verses is that Jesus healed everyone. I want you to see that this was a significant portion and, and a central aspect to the ministry of Jesus. We're going to see this healing more in depth later on, chapters 8 and 9, are filled with Jesus healing people. So if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. There's going to be more to come. But the reality that people were being confronted with in Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, is that here is a man who has a presence and authority like nothing that no one has ever walked the earth. Not only was Jesus bringing the words of the good news, he's bringing the reality of that good news. So the great light that is dawning in Galilee was not just a flash with no bang. Jesus manifested his words and his actions in that they were manifesting the literal reality of wholeness and healing that all of creation has been desperate for since the fall, where the darkness of sin manifests death and disease and brokenness. Jesus, the light of men, you see this in John 1, 4, was literally bringing life and healing and wholeness with his presence To Galilee so my first question for you this morning is do you believe that Jesus can heal or is Jesus's power to heal his willingness to heal something that is reserved only for for the Bible times I want to keep sitting here to consider because I I think that there's an inclination to jump straight to the spiritual thing. Well, Jesus is our spiritual healer, absolutely. But I wanna sit here and consider the literal and the practical implications of what Jesus is doing in these verses. I don't know what you're dealing with today as you come into this space, but there's gotta be something in your life or the life of someone that you love where this question hits home. Do you believe that God can bring healing into your life here and now? because the truth behind what we're reading in these verses is a definitive, clear, and resounding yes. Yes, Jesus can heal you and your loved ones. God's ability to heal is is not constrained to the Bible any more than his presence is constrained to the Bible. And God's presence is here today, amen? And he has the power and the authority and the willingness to heal and to restore. Look at the length at which Matthew goes to explain the extent of Jesus' capacity to heal and restore. Look again, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, Of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread all throughout all Syria, and they brought to him look closely here the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So Matthew gives five categories for the healing that Jesus was doing. And this is meant to communicate that there was nothing that Jesus could not heal. He could heal every run-of-the-mill sick person. That's the sick there. He could heal every chronically ill person. That's those who are afflicted with various diseases and pains. Every spiritually afflicted person, that's represented in those who are oppressed by demons. Every mental and cognitive illness, that's who is referred to as epileptics or those who had seizures. And even situations where people were paralyzed with no scientific understanding at that time for an underlying mercy house. This wasn't something that was special, that was just happening in the Bible. This is a reality of who God is. He is Yahweh Rapha. That is a name given to God in the Bible, which in the Hebrew means the Lord who heals. Healing is not just what God does. It is who he is. He cannot help it. Things are restored in his presence. God can heal every sniffling nose and achy joint. He can heal every cold, every flu, every bacterial infection, every viral infection, every headache, every earache, every stomach ache, every single heartache that we have. God can reset a broken bone. He can repair every torn ligament. He can soothe every pulled muscle, repair every sprained joint, every skin rash you've ever had every heart defect that exists, every asthmatic lung, every GI disorder, every blood clot, clot, failed kidney, metabolic disease, pinched nerve, herniated disc, every neurological disorder, every cognitive disorder, every single condition and symptom listed in the 1,120 pages of the DSM-5. There is nothing that can bring Jesus, that we can bring to Jesus that would stump Jesus. People tried. An entire region of sick people suffering from every ailment under the sun coming to, de- to Jesus in absolute desperation and despair with just a tiny flicker of a hope that maybe this is the man that can bring healing. And everyone is talking about him. And at the end of verse 24, what we see is Matthew telling us very simply, and he healed them. He healed them. Jesus brought miraculous healing to everyone who came to him it is absolutely crazy as everyone is trying to get themselves and their loved ones just to be able to see jesus and mercy house if we believe that god can do this then why are we not doing everything that we possibly can to bring people who need healing to jesus people in our families people right here in the church people in our community And look, I know that some of you are like, yes and amen. It's about time we talked about some healing up in here. But I also know that there are some of you who are incredibly uncomfortable right now. And you're wondering, have we gone off the rails as a church? But you cannot look at God's word and not see a God who has the authority, the power, and the willingness to heal. It accounts for a third of Jesus' ministry. It happened up and down and all around in the Gospels. Let me do this for you. It wasn't just Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. A few chapters, a couple chapters later, verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I would love to to read all of the instances of miraculous healing in the early church. We don't have time. Acts 4.30 is one instance. Acts 5.16, Acts 8.7, Acts 9, pretty much all of Acts. Just read Acts, and you're going to see a lot of healing in that ministry, now, it wasn't just for the apostles. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, these were like super Christians. They had like extra special powers. This is Paul writing to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. The gift of healing is among many gifts that God equips the church with in order to bless and serve one another and the world around them. Last verse for you, James 5 verse 13. If healing was such a significant portion of Jesus' ministry, if it is such a visible aspect of the early disciples' ministry, if it is something that we as a church are exhorted to do, then Mercy House, if we are going to be a healthy and mature church, then praying for healing must be a part of our ministry, right alongside preaching the gospel and teaching people how to follow Jesus. So what's stopping us? from making this a reality this morning. We don't do a lot of it. We don't. Healing might be something that makes us nervous. For some of us, this is where it might start getting a little weird. But if we can be honest with each other, if if you're a Christian, and you believe that God became a man, and lived a perfect life, and walked on water, and fed thousands of people with nothing, and then died for your sins, and then was buried under the under the ground in a tomb, and then he rise rose from the dead, and then he floated off into heaven, and that someday when Jesus returns, and I'm going to quote scripture here, First Thessalonians verse four, chapter four, verse seventeen, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Like If you believe all that and you think it's weird to ask the God of the universe to restore a broken bone or cure a little disease, like that's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. And so I wanna press on this a little. I wanna challenge us this morning. Beginning to pray for healing won't make you weird. If you are a Christian, that ship of normal has sailed. My brothers and sisters, we, we're already weird. What's more likely than us finding it weird that Jesus can heal, which prevents us from praying for it, is that we're protecting ourselves from being disappointed in the event that God doesn't heal. So in other words, we don't want to pray for healing because we don't want to be let down. I want to see a show of hands be vulnerable here for for a minute. Who here has ever prayed for healing, whether for yourself or for someone you love? Raise your hand nice and high. If you've ever prayed for healing, okay, keep your hands up. If you have prayed for healing, I want you to keep your hand up if there was a time that God did not answer that prayer. Okay, I think everyone left their hand up. Last one, keep your hand raised if you have never, be honest, if you have never seen God answer a prayer of healing in your life. Keep your hand up, nice and high. A a good amount of us. I think many of us don't pray for healing as much as we ought to. You can put your hands down. As much as we ought to, or we struggle with the idea of God healing because it is uncomfortable and disappointing when God doesn't heal. Like, when that happens, it poses a legitimate theological problem that is hard for us as Christians to grapple with. And so what happens is we live, whether consciously or not, not asking God for healing. And we don't pray that God would heal. We might even feel a little bit allergic to that experience. Some of you might be having an allergic reaction right now. I think if we want to grow in prayer for healing as a church, we need to wrestle with what is the most glaring reality, that sometimes God does not heal. Sometimes God does not heal. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers for healing. And so I wanna finish my time this morning sharing three biblical reasons why God might not be answering our prayers for healing. Okay, number one, sometimes it is because we lack faith. Remember James's words, we just read this earlier, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. We also see this with the disciples later on in Matthew's gospel. In chapter 17, verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now Jesus goes on to heal this boy When the disciples debrief what happened, this is what you see, verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The disciples couldn't heal this boy, and the reason that Jesus gives is very straightforward. It is because of your little faith. They are not fully trusting somehow in their head and their heart that God has no limit to his power and his authority. Their faith is not fully in God. Perhaps maybe it's a little bit in themselves. Maybe it's a little bit in their fervency of prayer. Maybe it's not being in a place where they fully trust that God can do this supernaturally and having a more rational, thinking that there might be a more rational means for the healing to happen in ways that maybe they expect that healing to happen. How do we have more faith in prayer? I think one way is to pray more and rely more, to pray more and rely more, not hedging our bets Maybe not preparing our hearts for God to say no, even as we're praying that prayer. I think sometimes we might pray for healing and say, well, if it's your will, which absolutely, you could pray like, in your will, Father, if you can heal this person, please do that. But we're praying that it is his will. We're praying, Lord, let this be your will. Praying with a hopeful disposition that it can actually be a possibility The other day, I had some extra time with Davey, my youngest, and I told her, we're going to do something fun. And immediately she goes, can we go to Disney? (laughs) And she asked with faith that that was a real possibility. Now, she's not naive. She knew that no was a possible answer, but she also believed that yes was a real possibility. And it wasn't. I'm not God. I can't do that. But if we want to pray with faith, then I think we pray like a child with a hopeful disposition, knowing that yes is a possible answer, and that's the one we're hoping for. So that's one reason that might explain why God isn't answering our prayer for healing. But sometimes it has nothing to do with how much faith you have. You hear me, Mercy House? The Apostle Paul is someone who exemplified this. And it might be because that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers for healing because he's using that affliction for good. It might be because he's using that affliction for good. Paul, someone who himself had an incredible healing ministry. So Acts chapter 19 verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So, you want to talk about faith? That is some powerful faith. Somehow, his faith in God left some like holy residue on pieces of cloth that then contributed to the healing of diseases and demonic possession. That's what's happening right here. But this same Paul, later on in his ministry, writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of christ may rest upon me When God does not answer a prayer for healing, it is never because he cannot. In some instances, it is because what we are asking for healing from is more valuable for our good when it is present in our lives than when it is gone. Now I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's what Paul is saying here. There's something more important than Paul's comfort. There's something more critical in the work that God is doing in Paul than for him to be freed from this thorn in in his flesh. And so, that thorn remains. Mercy out. This this might be true for you today. If you have prayed like Paul, if you have pleaded repeatedly with the Lord for healing in some way, whether that is for yourself or for someone that you love, and, and God has not answered and brought healing to that situation, it might be because that affliction is more valuable somehow for your good for the good of that other person if that remains on them as if uh, instead of if it were to be healed look back at Jesus in the desert earlier in chapter 4 in this chapter chapter 4 a bite of food would have been great it would have brought restoration to his flesh 40 days without any food but there was something bigger going on for Jesus something more important than the physical restoration And in that experience, he trusted the Father in his affliction and in that trial. Now, I will say that God has revealed this to Paul. Jesus knew that there was something greater going on. And so if God hasn't made it clear to you why something is still in your life, then I would encourage you to continue praying with faith. Sometimes God doesn't heal because we lack faith. Sometimes God doesn't heal because he's somehow using that affliction for our good. Sometimes God is answering our prayers for healing but not in the way that we want him to or expect him to. Caitlin, my wife, she's fine with me sharing this. She has a little bump on her forehead. It's really cute, I think. And it and we, and it's been there for like a few years now. Um and it like grows and shrinks, I think. And if you're a health professional, like come talk to me after this, but um, she has had it looked at, and they're like, oh, it's, it's normal. It's, like, this is just like a, a calcium buildup or something like that. We can remove it, but it's, it's not like, m- m- like a, a, a medical concern. And so we've prayed over this for years, and, and just this last week, I'm talking about this text with Caitlin, and, and she's struggling because she's like, Tommy, we've prayed for this thing for a long time, and God hasn't removed it. Like, is this for my good? I'm like, maybe. That's one of the points of the sermon. But maybe we have been praying for it, and it hasn't killed you. Like, you're alive right now. It is just a malignant bump on your forehead. Like, imagine what it would be like if we didn't pray. I don't know the answer to that, but it's possible that God is answering that prayer in a way that we might not expect him to, but he is still preventing that bump on her forehead from killing her. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we pray for things and God is answering. It's not looking the way that we want it to look because we want, just us have it completely removed. God's like, it's okay. I got this bump on your forehead, right? Sometimes God doesn't heal because we lack faith. Sometimes God doesn't heal because He's using that affliction for our good. Sometimes God is answering that prayer, but it's not looking the way that we want it to. And last one, God sometimes doesn't heal because we do not ask Him to. Because we do not ask Him to. Whether it's because we lack faith, for even asking for that healing, whether we're nervous for uh, uh, being disappointed in the event that God doesn't answer our prayers for healing, whether it's we didn't know that we could and we should pray for healing in ourselves and others to begin with. Sometimes God doesn't heal us or our family or our friends or our church members or our co-workers or our roommates or classmates or neighbors because we're simply not asking God to do that. So Mercy House, of all the reasons that God won't bring healing into our lives and the lives of those we love and interact with, let it not be because we won't ask him. Amen? Jesus can heal. He can heal every affliction. There is nothing in this room that God cannot bring healing to. That's the king that we serve. Now he might not. He might not. And if he doesn't, we can trust that he has a good reason why not. But Mercy House, he might if we ask him to. Like, isn't that worth a shot? Isn't that worth a prayer? Now, that's the preaching, and here's the teaching. Some of us aren't praying for healing because we don't know how to pray for healing. And so we're gonna do this together. I'm gonna ask you one more time to be vulnerable and honest this morning. I know this is gonna be hard for some of you, but if you have some sort of affliction, something that you're praying for healing from, whether that's in your body, your mind, your heart, that that you're you're just wanting God to bring healing into your life, I I want you to, to, to stand up. I want to encourage you to stand up. We've never done this at Mercy House, so I want you to stand up. Healing in you, your body, your mind, your heart, and I know it's, it's not weird. It does definitely take courage and faith to do this. And some of us haven't experienced healing, though, because we've never legitimately asked for healing. And so this is our chance to do that. I want to encourage, if you're standing, put your hands out just in a posture to receive. This isn't like a special hand motion. Just have your hands up to receive prayer and receive from God. Others of us in the room, especially if you have the gift of healing, I want you to just extend your hands out toward them. You don't have to touch it. Just kind of help your body direct your prayers at the nearest person to you, okay? I'm gonna pray for us. Now pray with me. Father, we acknowledge that you are the God of creation, that there is nothing in this room that is outside of your control. God, we read your word and we see that you brought healing in miraculous ways to people who place their faith and trust in you. And so we pray, God, in this moment that you would bring supernatural healing to the people who are standing, Lord. Lord, you know exactly what they're wrestling with, God. You know exactly what pains and aches and the things that they're suffering with God. And so we pray by the power of your spirit, not in my authority, not in the authority of anyone in this room, but the authority of Jesus Christ, the great physician, the healer and restorer of everything that is broken and out of place. I pray that you would do that work miraculously, God, and that all glory and all praise would be given to you. Lord, we see this happening in your church. We just pray that it would happen here at our church so that we can... Fully walk out what it means to be your church, Lord. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief, God. Lord, we know you can do this. And so we pray, God, that you would do it. Help us then as we receive healing to then be ambassadors of your healing, God. And to go out and pray for and minister to a world that is sick and suffering, God. Lord, we claim your authority over everything in this room right now. We pray this in the powerful healing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Now I'm not going to go down the line and say are you healed and you healed and I do want to <laughs> I do want to encourage you Look, God may not work instantly over the next day. Maybe he did work instantly over the next day, couple days. Um, let us know. Like, fill out a prayer card physically here, or you can go on, on to our website. There's a little form. Let us know how the Lord has worked in your life, and we'd love to celebrate that as a church. Again, that's not to be like, wow, Mercy House is so cool. It's to say, wow, God is really cool, okay? So let's do that. Final thing I'm gonna say this morning, in these verses that we're reading, we don't see how or why Jesus heals. Only that he does. We don't see how he does it, we don't see why he does it, only that he does. And that does get revealed later on in his ministry, but we're going to cheat this morning. And I, I started by saying that Matthew bookends this passage later on in chapter 9. i want to read those verses again, but I'm going to include one more verse right after it that I think sheds important light. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36 when he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know what hurt or pain or affliction that you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what you stood up about. What heartbreak keeps you up at night? What depression? Keeps you down for the count in the morning. I don't know what chronic pain, what the thorn in your flesh is, what disease or illness that you've pleaded with the Lord about over and over and over again for yourself or for that person that you love. But what I want you to see in God's word this morning is that God sees you in it. He sees you in it. He has compassion for you. He sees that you are helpless. He sees that you are suffering. He sees that you are hurting. And he's done something about it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. When we take communion, we remember that Jesus didn't just come to heal broken bones. He came to restore broken hearts. And he didn't come just to cure diseases of our bodies, but he came to eradicate the disease of sin and how it has infected our souls. And that the ultimate purpose of Christ is to do this. That's why he went to the cross. He is the ultimate cure. He is the final antidote. He is the greatest medicine And if you are a Christian, then you have already experienced what is the most incredible and what is the most miraculous healing possible. Every other type of healing that we're asking for is secondary to what we celebrate when we take communion. Mercy House, hear me when I say this, you will not suffer forever. There will come an end to what you're struggling with. There will come a time when it will cease to be a problem for you, where these lights and momentary afflictions, though they are heavy on our souls now, they will be a blink of a memory, just lost in a sea of joy and glory in the presence of Christ. And when we take communion, we remember that Jesus died but that he rose again and that he ascended into heaven, but that Jesus will return. And when Jesus does return, he will bring total and complete healing and bring absolute restoration to every single act. Use strength through the Spirit to endure. And until that day comes, let us pray to Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we feel like a baby crying for help. God, we're far more helpless um, than, than we often even understand. Thank you that you see us in our helplessness. You have great compassion for us. Lord, help us to not just acknowledge your power, but your heart, Lord. And help us to walk our life of ministry Knowing these two truths, Lord, help us to be people who pray to you with faith and reliance for things that are supernatural. And God, we already do this. There are ways that we pray to you and ask for supernatural help. And so help us to be consistent across the board, Lord. If healing and supernatural things make us uncomfortable, Lord, um, I pray that you'd soften our hearts. Pray that you'd work miraculously, that you would do things in our life that um, would have no other purpose or explanation other than you intervening in a supernatural way. We pray that you do that, God. Not because we're seeking signs and wonders and miracles just for the sake of knowing that you're real. We know you're real, God. But Lord, we want to see healing come to those around us who are hurting, God, who are suffering. I pray that this day, this week, would be a new chapter in our church's ministry, God, where we are not just preaching the gospel, we're not just teaching people how to follow you, that we are healing through prayer, asking you to do things that only you can do. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have healed us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.